Welcome to Revive Family, Parenting in the 21st Century with researcher, author, lecturer, counselor, and coach, Jeff Schott. Jeff has written Influential Parenting, a comprehensive program designed to help parents become important influencers in guiding their kids to success. Jeff also wrote the book, Going, Going, Gone, about kids departing the faith they were raised in. You can learn more about the program and the book at revivefamily.com. Jeff, I was thinking before we started rolling here today that uh, the format we've utilized has pretty much been describing a problem, suggesting a solution, then visualizing how life could be improving for people, how people could be growing and moving forward. And I'm really comfortable with that format. And I think that format serves itself beautifully discussing the topic of loneliness, which is a topic you've been researching in great detail. Uh, reading your blog on the topic was very enlightening. And uh, it strikes me that I, I guess I really wasn't aware that families, family units are even struck by a loneliness. And uh, yeah, expand on that. Tell us about that. Well, I was shocked when I started looking at the topic because it made me go back and look at my own research. Mm. And when I did, I realized I had missed something really big because what kids had been telling me through the years in the coaching and the research is that they were basically four individuals living under one roof or four people living on four different emotional islands. I heard those phrases out of kids' mouths quite often. And I attributed that to the breakdown in the parent-child relationship in adolescence, which that is a component of it. But when I started to look at the research out there on loneliness and the pervasiveness of it, I went back and started looking at what the kids said. And what I realized was they were describing how alone they felt. Mm. And what's shocking to me is that 60% of couples feel lonely today, married couples. Um, over 53% of people in our society feel lonely today. And the numbers get higher with the millennials and the Generation Z uh, younger people. They have a higher degree of loneliness than the average. So isn't there the tendency to say, though, that well, people just don't communicate that well? You know, they don't share their feelings. Um, uh, they can handle that. No problem. It's uh, loneliness? It's loneliness. And what's shocking to me about the loneliness was the health implications. Um, I had no idea that loneliness, if it's a significant level of loneliness, is as dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Um, it's proven to shorten your lifespan for, by up to eight years. Being constantly lonely or in In a in sense of loneliness, sense. yes. And that, that really kind of equates sadness too, right? If you're lonely... You're feeling somewhat unvalued, and you're feeling sad about your circumstances. Right. And not knowing what to do about it. Right. And what's more alarming to me is that I'm encountering in my coaching more and more kids, more and more families, more and more wives who are telling me they feel completely alone. And just this week, talking to a family and a mom that says, I'm alone. I've been in a Bible study with the same women for seven years, but I'm alone. I don't open up. I don't share. Um, and it's because of some of the things that have happened in her past. It's because of what she believes about herself 
it's there's a lot of components to it, but it was consistent with the research I found on loneliness, mm-hmm. which indicated that when someone's lonely, they tend to adopt behaviors that actually reinforce the loneliness, that you almost adopt antisocial uh so would you say people are comfortable in their loneliness? Um, I think they get used to it. Okay. I think that they can live with it and not articulate it. Are they saying they accept it but really don't know what to do about it? Exactly. Exactly. You know, mm. this mom was like, I know I'm alone. I know I'm emotionally shut down. Um, I've been this way for as long as I can remember. And they just think they'll always be that way. Right. They're stuck there. And what I see in the family unit, Jonathan, is that a big part of this is the lack of a resolution process. And I know we've talked about it on other programs, but the fact that things aren't getting resolved where there's an issue and then the issue blows up and there's conflict and then everybody kind of separates and then time kind of lets that thing soften is emotionally driving people apart. And they gradually move further and further apart with issue after issue after issue because none of them are truly getting discussed, understood. Um, perspectives aren't being listened to, heard, shared from both sides. And as a result, true apologies aren't happening. True forgiveness isn't happening. And I think that's a big part of what's driving the loneliness in families. So you're, you're seeing that within Revive Family as you're counseling people. And you're talking to families and, well, you said at the outset, sometimes it feels like four people under one roof who aren't really communicating. Right. Four individuals, four individuals living under one roof. And it's interesting. The parents never describe it that way. The kids do. And then when I bring that observation from the kids to the parents, the parents are like, it's almost like, aha, you're right. Okay, it's almost a revelation to the parents. Mm. So I think we get so busy in our daily lives and our routine and the way we interact with our kids, we're not really stopping and thinking about how's the relationships going, um, how are we are we connected. So as the, as the adult, as the parent, I would want to communicate to my child, I don't want you to be lonely. I don't want you to feel sad. I want you to feel valued. Where, how do we begin turning that corner then? Exactly. And I think it's got to start in our marriages. Um, to me, the most interesting piece of research I discovered on loneliness was the study that um, Psychology Today did that showed that the longer couples were married and lived together, um, the less they truly understood each other. And when I first read that, I was like, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. But then I looked at the study and what they did. And what they did was they got permission to put cameras in people's homes. And they only recorded when they got into an argument. And they recorded mm-hmm. the argument. And then they had them individually watch the argument and share what they thought the other person was thinking and feeling in the mm-hmm. argument. And then what they were thinking and feeling. And then they compared those notes. And what they discovered was the longer that they were married, the less they understood what the other person was really thinking and feeling. And the conclusion was they had stopped talking about their deepest desires, emotions, and feelings early on in the relationship. Hmm. And as a result of that, they drew conclusions about each other without really talking. They drew, maybe labeled how each other behaves and started to perceive things through that grid. And their understanding of each other got farther and farther apart the longer they were married. Mm -hmm. So it kind of discounts the opportunity for growth 
within each individual in a couple. If you say within the first year or two, I've defined you, I know you, I know you better than anybody else, and uh, right. not seeing what changes have occurred, what growth has occurred. Right. Or you know, maybe someone's actually trying to change and they're struggling with feelings, but they're not sharing those feelings. Mm-hmm. And if they're not sharing those things and what they're going through and what they're trying to change in themselves with their partner – then the partner's not going to understand they're actually making an effort. And mm-hmm. in a fight, obviously, you're going to go back to what you have seen and understood before. Mm-hmm. So the loneliness can creep into the marriage. And when it creeps into the marriage, what's interesting also about the research is that they find that loneliness is contagious in social systems. Contagious. And yeah. Really? So because we tend to adopt some antisocial uh, ways we interact and communicate when we're lonely in, uh, let's say, a singles group, loneliness can become contagious. It can also become contagious within a family system. So if the mm-hmm. couple is starting to distance and not understand each other and starting to isolate and living like two individuals under one roof, that loneliness will become contagious and spread to the relationship with the kids and between the kids. And pretty soon you'll be those four individuals mm-hmm. living under one roof. That's a sad situation. Shocking if 60%— Stunning research you've come across. Yeah, well, if 60% of couples are feeling lonely, mm-hmm. that tells me likely we have 60% of families that are sitting as four individuals under one roof. Mm-hmm. I want to relate a story to you. Um, the company I work for, Troy Research, is a consumer opinion market research company. And when we do quarterly meetings, and we typically get together over a two-and-a-half, three-day period. And a couple of times we have dinner. And oftentimes, someone will say, what book have you read recently? And we actually go around the entire table, people talking about what book they've read, what it meant to them, whether they would recommend it or not. And it seems to me like that's, for our company, that's a growth opportunity but I would see something like that working in a family setting. Yeah, and I think um, there is so little interaction often going on in families today because we've gotten so attached to our individual devices right. and our individual pursuits. But uh, something else the research showed, if you want to avoid loneliness, is to have shared goals and activities um, that oftentimes mm-hmm. couples start with when they first start dating and get married. They start with those shared goals and visions and activities, but then they seem to lose that. They seem to stop talking about it. And I found the same to be true with kids. Oftentimes, we've got our kids so focused on our expectations that we're not understanding their desires, their goals. We're not helping them establish their own vision and joining in that. And so we don't end up with shared visions and goals with our kids. They're functioning frustrated with our expectations, so they're not sharing in them. And that can lead to a breakdown in loneliness between, at least specifically with the kid and the parent. So part of the plan as a parent is we need some time to sit down periodically and talk about our short-range and long-range planning. Talk about our strategy and the techniques we're going to apply for this family thing to work like it should. Yeah, well, and also sharing the the desires, sharing yeah. what are our desires as a family, sharing, you know, where do we want to be as a family in five to ten years? You know, mm-hmm. when the kids are out of the house, how close do we want to be to our, our kids and our future grandkids? 
um, things that we're not talking about our heart's desire. And the research is clearly showing that when we stop talking about that, we start to lose understanding of one another. Let's talk some more in a moment about uh, shared goals and activities shared by family. You're listening to Revive Family Parenting in the 21st Century with Jeff Schott. More in a moment. If you're intrigued by the content in this radio program, I want to encourage you to visit revivefamily.com and sign up for our free webinar. If you desire to have the type of influence in your kids' lives that will have them asking you for advice, please explore our research and the key concepts behind influential parenting. It's available now online. You can sign up for free today and begin watching by going to revivefamily.com forward slash webinar. That's revivefamily.com forward slash webinar. Welcome back to Revive Family, Parenting in the 21st Century with Jeff Schott. We're talking today about the topic of loneliness, and you were mentioning that uh, couples, that families need to have shared goals as part of the lifestyle, part of the family style. And as I think back to my own upbringing and thinking about raising kids myself, there were probably things when dad just kind of laid down the law and said, this is what we're going to do. But from what I've learned over the years, one of the biggest motivators for people who are involved in a group and a group decision is to being in on things and being able to provide some input rather than being told how things would be. Um, yeah. And shared goals and activities, um, this doesn't mean activities our kids go to. This means activities we're doing with our kids. Mm-hmm. Shared goals means we're sharing, um, our kids are sharing with us where they would like to end up in life. And this is part of the implementation process we encourage parents to do when they've gone through our influential parenting classes. There's an entire goals worksheet that they give to their kid, and it's what goals do they have for their own soccer playing, for their own grades, for their their college or their future life, their lifestyle? And you've always encouraged this really early. Oh, yeah. That's not to wait till high school. No. Let's be thinking about it. At age, age? 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Okay. Um, you know, my son starting a company right now, E-Family Games, and – you know, I'm excited about that goal and it's starting to excite him as he sees it coming together and it's gathering momentum. And, mm-hmm. and so when we get behind our kids in what their vision is, their goals are, we can come alongside them and share that exciting goal with them, help them achieve those goals. And that draws us together. It, it, it brings us close. We end mm-hmm. up talking more. We end up interacting more. We're working together more. We're doing things together. And all of a sudden, loneliness, of course, vanishes. Mm-hmm. And that's why shared goals and activities are so important between couples. We started there when we were dating. So many of us, I'll be honest, in my marriage, as I was reading the research going, you know what? I can see some of this in, in my own home, in my marriage. And mm-hmm. so these are things that I'm already starting to process. Okay, what am I going to do differently um, as we move forward? I could have done better is what you're saying to yourself. Yeah. You're reading this research. Right. It's what I, I, I think I've done it great with yeah. my kids, yeah. a lot better with my kids than maybe my wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sadly, but true. So you've said and you've written that controlling communication behavior is to be avoided by parents. And so many of us, so many of us as parents were brought up with that style. 
Right. You're saying avoid that style. Well, even more important, um, I think the fear of what could go wrong and what our kids could get into has driven us to maybe even seek a greater level of protection, which leads to control. And what was interesting is I didn't just study loneliness. I studied what causes people to feel loved. And I looked at a bunch of research on that. And we're going to have an entire program on how do we teach our kids to love coming up. But in the love research, what I discovered was in this massive survey of uh, Americans, the most unloving behavior or communication that communicated no love, the inverse of love, was actually controlling behavior and communication. That was the thing that communicated the most, it was considered the most unloving action. And it tends to shut down the openness, right, of the child sharing, this is how I'm feeling about this. You wouldn't want to express that if the law has been laid down by mom or dad. Right. Right. And, and you so. You can't open up emotionally. Then. Right. Right. Because kids end up fearing my parents aren't going to listen. They're not going to hear. They're not going to understand. Worse yet, I'm going to say something they disagree with and I'm going to get a lecture or told I'm wrong. And so that can lead to emotional distance and loneliness between parents and kids very quickly. But it was fascinating to me, that study that said controlling behavior and communication was considered the most unloving thing we could do. And and yet, as parents, it's often what we believe is the safest for our kid. We've got to reevaluate that. If our kids aren't feeling loved, they're feeling distant from us, they've got to replace that with something else. And that can be the boyfriend, the girlfriend. It can be a lot of different things. But there has to be the safe place where they can open up emotionally, right? Right. And I think you referenced that there is an, actually an emotions worksheet that right. people can download. Right. Talk about that. We will shortly have an emotions worksheet that you can download at revivefamily.com. And it'll be revivefamily.com forward slash emotions. Mm-hmm. Tell work, us about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's been fascinating. And the coaching I'm doing with so many families and couples, um, recently quite a bit with couples, um, I'm discovering a lot of adults that can identify the sense of pain or hurt, and they can identify anger, and those are the two emotions they're experiencing a lot of, and they've lost all the other emotions, some of them way back in childhood, and they can't identify their feelings, they can't communicate them, and if the research is showing that couples distance because they're not sharing their deepest feelings and and adults can't identify them. They certainly can't help their kids identify them. And we're going to end up disconnected. And so this emotions worksheet has been really wild. It's really remedial. It's basically, you know, emoji faces with different expressions drawn on them and the word for the emotion. And I've had adults sitting there looking at it and I'm going, so when that happens in your marriage or when that happens with your child, how do you feel? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know. Look at the sheet. And they start reading through and they go, ah, this is it. This is what I'm feeling. And, and all of a sudden when they start identifying those feelings and their heart starts to open, they don't jump straight to anger when they get an intense feeling. They're able to identify that feeling, communicate that feeling. The other person's able to understand and it draws people together and loneliness starts to vanish. I never, ever until this moment thought about the concept of lost emotions, that they're particular emotions that we've let go. They slipped away. And people are rediscovering these in your counseling. 
Uh, definitely. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's because they weren't allowed to share their feelings with their parents about how their parents interacted with them when they were kids. And they kept being, being hurt by the parents yelling and coming down and lecturing. And they literally shut off their emotions as children. And so what they were able to identify was pain and hurt and anger because hurt always leads to anger. But the whole rainbow of emotions for many of the people, parents I'm working with have been lost way back mm -hmm. and they've been trying to muddle through without it is part of why they're having a hard time connecting closely with people in Bible studies and, and things they're involved in. Like this, this mom I'm talking to that I talked mm -hmm. about earlier, mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the things I just sent her was the emotions worksheet. So if they've lost some emotions along the way, they would be fearful of opening up, right? Fearful of sharing. Uh, not really trusting the situation or the people involved, and you need to help heal that. Right, and um, and I see a lot of kids that are here at young ages, seven, eight, nine, um, that early, where kids are. I don't know. When I ask kids, so how did you feel when that happened? I don't know. Well, let's think about it for a minute. And they have they've already begun to shut it down because they haven't. Their feelings haven't been being sought out, um, communicated. Um, parents haven't been sharing their feelings with their kids, so their kids aren't learning how to share their feelings. So we start bottling everything up. So it sounds like a rules and consequences upbringing that that, that will contribute to it, but it doesn't even have to be that from my experience. Yeah. Um, it can be just a house that does a lot of um, correcting a lot of talking, a lot of lecturing where there isn't a lot of asking questions and digging into where their kids at and how they view their situation, how they're feeling in the interaction with their parents. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe at this point you could expand a little bit on the whole lecturing concept because I stand accused. You know, when you've lived long enough, you think, well, I've got some wisdom and you don't have, and I need to share this. Right. And but it I, comes off as a lecture. Why, why is it labeled as a lecture? Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I think uh, it's labeled as a lecture because it's one-way communication. It's labeled as a lecture because when we get a little frustrated, we start to talk down to instead of with. It's labeled as a lecture because of our nonverbal picking up a little bit of aggressiveness. Okay. Instead of saying, let me tell you, I should be saying, do you know what I know about such a maybe shoddy? I should. Would you like to hear? Right. Well, and this opening up with questions rather than yeah. And this going is one right of the lecture. things that's critical if we want to prevent loneliness in our families. We need to avoid controlling behavior. We need to be able to share our feelings. We need to be a safe place. And a safe place means when our kids make a mistake, when they've gone off the reservation, they normally didn't mean to. Normally driven by emotions they weren't even perceiving in my experience doing all this coaching. And what they need is someone that will come alongside and ask the questions about what happened, what was going on in your life at that moment, what were you feeling when, when you made that decision. And lots of times light bulbs will come on as they actually start to dig in and think, and they'll go, whoa. And then, hey, you know, you know how I would handle this. Uh, would you be willing for me to share that with you? And now they're open because they feel heard and understood where when we have the right answer and we just want to tell them the right answer and maybe even try and force them to implement that right answer, 
they tune us out, they shut us out. Um, emotional di- distance actually develops leading to loneliness. That's mm-hmm. why being a safe place is so important. And for me, the most powerful example of a safe place is, you know, the adulterous woman um, who has been ripped out of bed and there's a group of men there standing there with stones ready to throw the stones at the woman because that was the law. That was the rule. And Jesus didn't pick up a stone and stand next to him and say, yeah, a stoner. He stepped in between her and the consequence and said, you know, if you haven't sinned, cast the first stone. Whoa. Uh, think about that in the context of parenting for a minute. If you haven't mm-hmm. sinned, mom and dad, mm-hmm. then go ahead and feel the, that you can judge your kid and throw the first stone and do the lecture. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus said, you know, and they, they all dribbled away and then, you know, the woman's standing there and he's standing there alone. And then he says, is there no one left to condemn you? And she says, no. And he goes, neither do I condemn you. And oftentimes the lecture, the consequence, the punishment, uh, the harsh face, the reaction, even the tears of disappointment can seem like condemnation to our kids. And there's nothing that will drive someone away from someone faster than feeling condemned. And boy, I feel, I talked with a lot of kids that feel that way. And it's why they're feeling alone. That's at least one of the reasons they're feeling alone in their families. Well, the whole topic of, uh, of loneliness and aloneness is a, is a fascinating one. And we'll have to do some more on that topic in the near future. That's it for this edition of Revive Family Parenting in the 21st Century with Jeff Schott. We'll return soon with another program designed to help you become a wiser, more effective, more influential parent. Jeff's website is revivefamily.com. Parenting in the 21st Century is produced in association with Faith Radio. Jeff Schott is a pastoral counselor and coach. He is not a licensed healthcare professional. What you've heard is not a substitute for seeking professional medical or psychological support.